Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point! The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's See what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I am so excited about our guest that I want to talk about okay. her first. Yay! Okay, me too. Dr. Gladys McGarry. 
who is 102 years old and who began her medical practice at a time when women couldn't even open their own bank account, is going to be right here talking to us at 9 o'clock. She founded the American Holistic Medical Association and is a voice that is both practical and inspiring. Right here at 9 o'clock, stay with us or come back. Why are you excited about this, Sarah Ellen? I, this will be the most eldest person I've ever been on a phone call with. I was just thinking about it today. Like, wow, what an amazing elder. And to know that she is a woman and that she has mentored, I, I'm familiar with at least one of the doctors that she has mentored. And um, part of her life was in India. It just that, it sounds phenomenal. And then at 102, I love the 10-year plan. I love the 10-year plan. That is just so beautiful to me. I mean, that is the heart of story and energy medicine for me when I see Dr. Gladys McGarry like, employing a 10-year plan and looking forward. And obviously she has amazing, beautiful stories to tell and harrowing. Har- how, how would you say that? As a female, harrowing stories or harrowing stories about survival and heartbreak and this I'm very curious about both of those. And mother of six children. Yes. Yes. It's just, he hard to... just on the side, mother of six children. <laughs> right. Unbelievable to me. It just wow. What an amazing gift that we get to have her on the show tonight and you get to speak with her and I get to hear her and I just inspired when I read that she was going to be our guest so very inspiring and we don't open it up for questions because it's a short interview but if there's some question that you want me to ask her you could call or write it in now before she comes on hmm and then I'll kind of have those in the back of my mind. And if there are things I want to ask her, I will, because I'll have been conditioned to do it by your desire. Nice. Nice. So that gives everyone another reason to press one tonight. If you've got something that you think would be marvelous for Susan to ask, Dr. McGarry this evening, that's another reason you can press one. Also, if you have a question, when we get to questions with Susan. Um, so. <laughs> so let's see. It was, what, two or three weeks ago when I said that the green goddesses, one of the green goddesses had a family tragedy that prevented her from coming and that she was hoping very much that that would open it up for some other woman who had been thinking about coming but hadn't quite gotten around to it yet. And, in fact, as we recall, that woman called in that very evening and said, that's me, I'm the woman who's been thinking about doing it and needed that little extra push. And um, she has been confirmed, and she'll be with us for the Green Goddess Week. What a, what a mitzvah, what a blessing. 
Marvelous. Oh, I remember her calling in. I was thinking about wondering today because I think I remember the name she shared that night. So I was wondering if she made it um, to write the letter as she stated she would, and that's fabulous. Wow. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. I <clears throat> fired up my trusty computer and said, all right, show me what I did last year and the year before last and the year before last. And let me see if any of that is cogent and germane for this year and what I want to do this year. <clears throat> One of my big upsets, disappointments, was that White Feather is not going to be with us for the Green Goddess Week this year. She's been feeling very called to be available to her mother. So Justine is going to come and start the day with Qigong. She's been studying it for a great many years now. And is happy to uh, share what she's learned about it. And I'm very happy. The uh, work that White Feather shared, the Seven Directions Movement Meditation, has been called Native American Tai Chi. So it's very much in the same frame, although the green goddesses won't get uh, the uh, Wolf Clan chants and dances that white feather would share. So, change, she changes everything she touches. (laughs) (laughs) So, what are you doing? What's up with you? Oh, I have been busy out in our food garden. Today I cooked up another big pot of collard greens. We have been blessed with lots and lots of greens this year. I shared some with our neighbor this week. Um, Let's see, what else? I took my husband to the airport today. He's off to visit his family, so I'm doing the week solo. Um, And it's supposed to be real hot here. Um, Not as hot as down south, out west, but uh, pretty hot for here. We may touch 100, and real humid, and the smoke is back. So I have not been outside too much, but it's given me plenty of time to be inside cooking greens. Um, and then I have been, like, starting to pour off some of the tallows I made earlier in the summer since it just hasn't been fun to be outside with the haze the last couple of days, so that's interesting. I did a catnip one, and it smells pretty funky. Catnip and tallow. Yeah, I, it was a little bit of olive oil, because I like that texture of, like, an oil with a tallow, but I was just curious to see if it would be, like, a good thing, maybe for sore feet, or um, if I had, like, any muscle cramping or something like that. So we'll see. I poured it off today. It's real pretty and green. It's so green. Oh, how nice. Yeah, it's really, really green. Really green. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you? What's going on? Oh, all kinds of interesting things 
happening around and about. Tomorrow, a woman is coming who's, I believe, making a movie about plant communication. And I think she means between people and plants. So it would be interesting to spend time with her. And I was just finishing up the title and questions that I want to be asked for the Psychedelics, Sacred Medicine, and Soul's Purpose Conference. Whoa. Where and when is that? It is virtual. And I said that my title is Direct Experience of Sacred Medicine, Nourishing Wholeness, the Wise Woman Way. Oh, I love that. Oh, oh, yes. That sounds fabulous. And then I said, this is what you should ask me. Why do you believe that herbal medicine is soul medicine? Mm. How does how does direct experience, especially of green blessings, heal the soul? What are green blessings? How does the wise woman tradition view psychedelic plants? Mm. How deep and juicy! Wow. Yeah, so that should be a lot of fun, and what a great premise for an online conference. I so enjoy all of the myriad opportunities that are making themselves available as people imagine them and bring them forth online. It's just such a delight. Hmm. Yeah. That's always the most fun I have online because I don't do a whole lot of social media, but it's gathering online and connecting that way. Oh, it just opens a whole way to really appreciate Internet and connecting in the virtual space because it offers opportunities that I would definitely not have otherwise. So I love that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps um, we'll be able to have a chance to do what E.O. Wilson thinks is our best bet. He calls it half Earth. Mm. Mm-hmm. I've heard you speak about him. And he thinks that Humans should have half the earth, and we should leave half the earth to the rest of it. So the trend, of course, over the past hundred years has been away from people being spread out all over the land in small, self-sustaining, sometimes farmsteads, and into great conglomerations in cities. 
totally. So much so that in many rural places, I know rural Japan, rural Italy, probably rural United States, land is, and even land with a house is very inexpensive because people don't want to live in a rural setting. And I was thinking about this last night, and I was thinking, oh, how perfect for the young generations who have this ease of socializing through the Internet to then repopulate these very rural places because they don't need to travel long distances for their social interactions. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's one of the things that drives people the soonest away from living rurally is that that suddenly they're like not as easily entertained. Mm. Now, I'm certainly not saying you can't be entertained in a rural setting. Certainly you are, I am. I double dare anyone to spend a day with a baby goat and not be entertained. Of course. Mm-hmm. But it does re- does require a little bit of slowing down to be entertained in the way we are. Definitely, yes. My brother just relocated here, and as much as he, you know, enjoyed the surroundings and the quiet and all of that, they were very happy to moved to their apartment in the city and they're looking for places to live, you know, in the city. They want to be amongst it all, walk to everything, choices, choices, choices of what to do. So it's interesting. Yes, we're willing to put up with the inconvenience of living with nature, which means that nature lives with us. Right, right. (laughs) <sighs> uh, we revived that old apprentice song on Bug Dinner. What on Bug Dinner? On <laughs> Bug Dinner, the bugs they feast on me. On Bug Dinner, they drink my blood for tea. On Bug Dinner, they eat me every day. And if bugs were goats, I'd be hay. <laughs> I love it. I forgot that one. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, and it's so true, too. I always, like, joke about that. I said, oh, I did my duty today. I fed about 100 mosquitoes. <laughs> I fed about 100 I'm back dinner. <laughs> uh, oh, my goodness. So do we have anyone with questions tonight? Uh, we do. We have three people that have pressed one to let us know that they've got a question. I'll remind everyone else, if you have a question this evening or if you have uh, something that you think would make a great question for our guest, Dr. Gladys McGarry, um, press 1 and uh, share your question or your question suggestion with Susan. So uh, with that, we'll go to our first hand that is raised in the 917 area code. In the 917, you are live. Hello. Good evening. Hi. Hi, this is Catherine calling, and I'm calling tonight with a question about wormwood, Artemisia absinthium. 
Um, Go ahead. Okay. So I have a number of bushes growing in my garden. Some are very woody and some are first year shoots because it spreads pretty beautifully. And this is definitely um, the the uh, medicinal artemisia. I, I bought the seeds from medicinal seeds and I, I, you know, I brought it in. This is not a wild artemisia. So I was walking around the garden and it looked so beautiful. And I thought I should really do something with it. I was thinking about this yesterday. I went up to look up your, your video about wormwood where you've got a really good video from about seven years ago where you talk about making a tincture with the flowering tops and in your YouTube video, Susan, you say that mm, wormwood tincture isn't going to expel a parasite, but it might be a good preventative. Um, I hope I have that right. Yes, that is what I said. Okay. So my, my wormwood is not yet flowering. The buds are coming out, but they're not in flower. So I thought, yeah, maybe I'll just make a tea out of it. So I steep some in water and... I don't mind the bitter taste. It's really sort of ironic, but I just, I just prepared some yesterday. So lo and behold, this morning, I go for a barefoot walk on a public trail, and I smack, I've never done this, right into dog poo in my barefoot. I mean, like, perfect target. And I happen to also have a breach, like, like a wound on the foot that hit right on the pile. I mean, it, like, couldn't have been a, a better aim. So I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I don't know if I just exposed myself to parasites. So I wonder if a water-infused wormwood is equally as preventative as an alcohol tincture. That's my question. Yes. I yes. would okay. say in this case it will be. Okay. Well, it was very fortuitous that I drank some yesterday and then, and then hit, hit a bomb today. <laughs> the goddess is always so gracious with us. Are, they are. <laughs> they really are. Great. Thank you. I'll let you get to your other callers. Thank you for the answer. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. And it looks like we have two callers that have pressed one to raise their hand. And we will go to the 212 area code for our next caller. In the 212, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi, Lauren. Hey. I, um, I'm i calling to follow up on this cold that isn't going away at all. My goodness. It, well, the first week after I spoke with you, it seemed to be on its way out, and then it just piled on different symptoms, like a lot of the um, sinus stuff and clogged and mucus in the throat and... Um, it, I would just be so clogged up at night that I'd wake up after, like, a couple of hours sleep and not get back to sleep. And I'm so absolutely underslept and not sure exactly what's happening or how to treat it. I'm feeling kind of woolly-headed about, well, you know, no sleep. So, And I was wondering if you had any suggestions. It's still going on. Uh, just started my third week of this lovely thing, and I don't know whether it might have been COVID or if I just waited out a little bit. I have a friend who's a doctor who's saying go to urgent care and have them check your lungs, and, and maybe they'll give you this and maybe they'll give you that. And I thought, oh, 
uh, I thought I would check in with you and see if you had any recommendations of what I might get checked out and whether there's any kind of treatment that I'm not trying or whether I just need to chill and wait it out. Well, let's ask ourselves if you went to an emergency care, mm-hmm. whether at a hospital or a stand-alone, uh-huh. like what, what would they have to offer you that you would want? Well, that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, do, do I need to have uh, my lungs checked out? <laughs> do I? Oh, right on Okay, here. so uh, if they check them out and they say your lungs aren't okay. Uh-huh. And then what could they offer me and would I want it? And I'm not even sure about that. That's why I'm calling you. Yeah, that's, well, and I don't know enough to know. So I can hear, especially when you cough, uh-huh. um, the congestion. Yeah. So it's, I would say that one of the things they would offer you would be cortisone. Yeah, and I thought, oh, do I know enough about that? And should I think about it? And is there something that I can... And I suspect that you can get a mild cortisone over the counter. Oh, uh-huh. I don't know. I know you can get mild cortisone creams over the counter. Uh-huh. So what? possibly you could... Possibly you could... Try it out with an over-the-counter if that's available. And uh-huh. if it's something that works, then you could go to a place that could prescribe it for you. Uh-huh. And what would the cortisone do? What, what action would that be? Cortisone uh-huh. is a very powerful Antihistamine. Uh huh. That sound that we're hearing, that kind of wheezy sound. Yeah, yeah. Is your airways being intensely inflamed? Mm-hmm. And that's the sound. It's kind of like a bagpipe sound, right? It's the yeah. Air, it's the air pushing its way through there, like it does in a bagpipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes what happens is your organism gets into a state where it keeps repeating itself even though it doesn't make any sense anymore. Uh, And the cortisone acts as like a jolt to jolt you out of it. That's what I was I was wondering about. Um, you know that 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 whatever had been happening, like with the cold and then the orange skies here and everything, it just kind of got onto a thing that just I can't seem to get out of. So what you said makes sense. And if that's something you're willing to do... Well, but that's just it. I don't know enough about it to say, gee, that sounds okay, or gee, that sounds terrible. 
because I've been doing no. herbs and I haven't been consulting people for ages. Right. So go online, uh-huh. talk to people, you know, explore uh-huh. it a little bit and see if it's something that that you're ready to do now. You know, often people yeah. say to me, oh, I'd never do that. And I think you just don't know what you'll do until you're at the time when you need it. You know, the truth is, is that the the the, the symptoms are so distressing. They're so scary, and they're so long, and it's been so discouraging that what seemed to be going away was just kind of like settling in. And I'm wondering, you know... So you, you and Mullen are friends, and you've been drinking Mullen, and you've been taking Pain tincture, and you have uh, inhaled some kind of aromatic steam, and... Um, yeah, um, Mullen, I just, I haven't had the infusion, I've just had the tincture. And I've been inhaling and drinking teas of, with time, and um, I've been using other things. I actually seem to have an infection uh, with the mucus, and then I turn that back by using antiviral and anti, you know, echinacea and uh, and yarrow and and, 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 and St. John's wort. Are you taking yellow campaign? No, I've never taken that before. I think I have a little bit of the tincture. Yes, I think elecampane is definitely called for. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Any particular amounts or just... Yeah, why don't you start with like 10 or 15 drops and then take more if you need it. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Um, what is... And elecampane can work quite fast. Oh, uh, fast? So if you want to set yourself like a, a limited time frame, like I'm going to take elecampane for 48 hours, and if I'm not better, I'm going to get some steroids. Uh-huh. Yeah, that whole, you know, just steroids. Uh, uh, I don't even know enough about it to... To, to feel negative about it, but I feel negative about it. It, it worries me. <laughs> Should it worry me? <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael went to the knee doctor and uh-huh. said, all right, it hurts enough. I want a replacement. And the knee doctor said, oh, no, 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 no. We do not like to do a knee replacement until after you have had cortisone shots. Oh, yeah. Because we want to exhaust this option before uh-huh. we do the surgery. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I thought that was very interesting, so he gave him a cortisone shot. Mm-hmm. And Michael said it was like being renewed. <laughs> he said that pain just totally disappeared. It, it just calms things down so you can repair? Is that what yeah. it does? Yeah. Okay. All right. I think I probably need that. I'd, I'd be scared to try to go to sleep. I'm, like, you know, I'm so worried about this. I feel like I'm being choked by my body. 
Yes, that's why steroids are used. Just stop runaway inflammation and Mm. give the body a chance to get it together. Yeah, I think I have like less than an ounce of elecampane from a long time ago, which I'm still it's still good. It's just I'm sure it's still good. Not, I don't so know again, as I said, if you want to give yourself a short deadline yeah. on working with elecampane, that would be reasonable because you shouldn't have to wait. The elecampane, if it's going to work, uh-huh. it's going to work fast. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm going to try that as soon as we, uh, yeah, now. (laughs) (laughs) Even as we speak, she is opening the bottle of Ella Campaign. Pretty much, I'm looking looking at the shelf on which the tinctures are, and I'm about ready to get up and grab the box and open it up. I didn't think of it because I didn't. I didn't know what the hell. I threw some bone set at it. I threw Usnia at it. I thought, is it COVID? Yep. I don't know. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Our campaign is always my. Oh, there's some really dreadful lung issue. Let's bring in Ella campaign. It's such a mm. wonderful, wonderful herb. Mm. For mm-hmm. Opening up swollen lung tissue. And okay. giving you that deep breath that it's really not... allows you. One of the things, of course, that happens when we can't really catch our breath, we feel like our breathing is interfered with, is we get uptight about it. Uptight is, is, is an understatement, yeah. And then because <laughs> we're uptight, we don't breathe well. Yeah. And then because we're not breathing well, we get a little more anxious about it. And then because we're more anxious, we don't breathe well. Because we're not breathing well, right? How'd you know? <laughs> so our campaign stops that, and you get a breath. That sounds really good. <laughs> this isn't all the time. Well, no. It's- and if, you know, if the... If the 10 or 15 drops works well and you want to repeat it even in 15 minutes, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That might be what I do this evening. I, yeah. yeah. Do you have any mullen that you could make some um, mullen infusion? Damn, you know, I I really don't. And I ordered it, but it's it's several days to a week away from getting to me. Yeah. And yeah. I do have the tincture. I have plenty of the tincture. Plenty of the tincture. That. I find the but, tincture definitely helps quell coughs. But yeah, but I the like infusion is better. Infusion yeah. for really getting deep down into the lungs. I totally feel that. I totally feel that. I threw some elderberries and some hawthorn berries in with comfrey. Aww. And that seemed good. Yeah. But t- yeah. but today I'm oat drawing because I'm anxious. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Dad. <laughs> uh, thanks for, yeah. So I, I'll probably live through the night, you think? <laughs> I suspect you will. I don't know if I ever told you one of my early herbal medicine stories. I had um, run to the rescue at someone's behest. They came and asked me to run and rescue this woman who 
wasn't taking her medications. And in doing so, um, I injured my foot. I actually thought I had a stone bruise. Oh. It just went on and on and on and was getting worse and worse. And so finally, and it was like on the outer part of my heel where I just couldn't see and couldn't get to it. Ah. Oh. Finally, I asked somebody to like see if they could, you know, find anything in there. Uh-huh. Dug around in there, and then within a couple of days, I noticed that my foot was hot, and there was a red streak going up my ankle. I remember that, I think. I remember sitting on the deck, and you were putting echinacea on it. And, you know, it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is so Yeah, awful. yeah. I was like, blood poisoning, I'm going to die. And then my friend, Robin Free, came over, and she thought she had hepatitis. Because her eye, the whites of her eyes were kind of yellow. And so we had this vision that that in the morning we were going to wake up dead and I was going to be white on half of my body and red on the other half of my body and she was going to be yellow. And they were going to take a color picture of us and say, this is what happens when you mess around with herbs. <laughs> Instead, as you notice, we are still among the living uh, normal colors. Thank you. It, it, uh, you said a couple of weeks ago, like, you know, the, the, the catastrophizing the idea, you know, and it, it was so normalizing to me because I've been so panicky the last week. <laughs> I know I was there when that was happening, I'm sure, because you were, you were like, you were dousing yourself, and I was sitting next to you, and you were kind of instructing you, saying, I'm doing this because of this. <laughs> I, 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 I get a chance to I get a chance to try a lot of different poultices on my foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it turned um, out there was a shard of glass in it that was shaped like an arrowhead. Oh my god! And it had oh to like turn itself god. around in order to come out. It was really, and you know the the thing that was the most drawing of all the poultices I tried was flying saucer squash or patty pan. A what? 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 You know the squash that's uh. like a, it's kind of like a little frisbee. It's flat and white and scalloped. Uh-huh. That squash grated up was the most drawing of all the poultices. Wow, that's so interesting. Huh. All of the cucurbits are renowned for being drawing. They're used in spas for facials. Huh, huh. All right, pumpkin, cucumber. Interesting, interesting. Probably good old zucchini, good old zucchini mask. Just grate it up and put it on. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting this. Have you ever felt that sensation on your hands after cutting zucchini? That your hands are tighter? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, they're tightening agents in the cucurbit juices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Huh. Thus, we put cucumber slices on our swollen under eyes. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's a fun visual, but I can see that it could be helpful. Thank you for talking me down. <laughs> I love you so much, Laura. You oh, are the you are the greater. I 
I love you so much, and and really, I can't, I can't even. I keep trying to write you and tell you how much you mean to me, and it's never, I can never write enough. I can't, I can't finish anything that will adequately let you know how much I love and value you, and 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 what a important person you have been in my life and are in my life and are in the world and all this this giving back and the teaching and what you're offering now I I hear it and I value it and it's just so wonderful I know what it's done for me how gratifying to be allowed a life in which I get to see people thriving with nourishing herbal infusions. How wonderful that I get to have a life that I get to have long-term relationships like mine with you. Thank you, Lauren. Mm, love you so much, Susan. Mwah. Mwah. blessings. Good night. Blessings to you. Good night. All right. At this time, we have three hands that have pressed one and are raised in the queue. The next caller is dialed in from the 504 area code. From the 504, you are live with Susan. Good evening, Susan. This is Kevin in New Orleans. Hi, Kevin. How are you this evening? I have a story to share with you. I'm on the mend after having an acute bronchitis. I haven't been sick in four years. So this has been an adventure and a rediscovery. I revisited some of your archives regarding the blessing of a cold and the way you can experience what your body is capable of in order to restore that dynamic disequilibrium of, you know, homeostatic balance. But, you know, it's a living system. And what I, what I wanted to share part of uh, one of the questions I think you posed earlier around how do green blessings uh, nourish the soul, maybe. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but I had paired an elderflower tincture and maybe called in or had a a moment to speak with you, and you, you mentioned it resets the fever thermostat, or at least that's how I... And, and, Memorized what you that's, said. Yep, yep, that's just what I said. You're absolutely right. I had the perfect opportunity Monday, I believe, of this week. I was running a fever, and, you know, fever's fever, but I was not able to get comfortable, and I didn't want to take acetaminophen. So I took, um, I'm 6'4", maybe 220. I took six dropper folds, and within 20 minutes, I was without fever and comfortable. And it happened, it was so subtle, but undeniable. And I just thought, what is happening? I, I've got this container garden, and been, I've been watching maybe over the last three years this elderberry uh, kind of sapling kind of grow into this canopy that leans and provides shade for the uh, sun-exposed areas of the container garden, almost as if the spirit of the elder that acts as guardian is 
appreciating my efforts and saying I'm here too, you know. And I I didn't have any reason to think I would be having a fever eight weeks from the time I made the tincture, but like clockwork, it was there for me. And coming away from that experience, I'm still clearing out the gunk. So your last uh, caller, your advice about Elecampane, I'm going to order some tincture because I've never worked with that that uh, green ally up until this point. But I see the blessings of the goddess in the preparedness even in those moments and experiences that we think are not, you know, fun, they're really for our, our deepest, highest good, no matter what they are. So for me, the, um, your teachings, your offerings, your availability, all of that has been such a push for me to empower myself, even as a traditional healthcare practitioner, um, one of the concepts you share is about integrated medicine. So I was out of town. I had half an ounce of um, of echinacea tincture. Clearly, I ran out within the first day. I'm feeling the symptoms. I know my body. I'm thinking this is going to go left real fast, and I won't be able to work when I get back. So I grabbed a Z-Pack because that azithromycin antibiotic was handy. But I didn't go the steroid route. I said, I'm going to take this for the fewest amount of days possible until I can get home to my apothecary because I'm out here, you know? So thank you for for your teachings. Oh, thank you so much for hearing me. It was heartbreaking for me when I first in the 70s, uh, found some teachers of herbal medicine that they were so at war with modern medicine. Mm -hmm. To the point where I had one teacher who refused to uh, help anybody who'd had cancer treatment. So, yes, let's use every possible tool we have in our toolkit. Yeah. Because we lead varied and exciting lives. <laughs> One of the things that I noticed on my nature walks, I was in Seattle visiting for a retreat. There was yarrow flower in flower everywhere. And... I found one uh, mullein plant in bloom. I grabbed a leaf. I did not harvest yarrow flowers because, you know, it was on a freeway or on a sidewalk on a busy street, and I didn't – I got weirded out. But the big thing that I came away with was at least now you can identify what is a medicinal plant you could use in a pinch, right? So the next step – <laughs> for me will be to go the, that extra mile and say, you know what, I don't know about fresh yarrow flower, but I know how to make a really strong infusion. And if nothing else, I could probably gargle with that when it's at the sore throat stage. But I wanted to hear your thoughts about, you know, I'm in a jam and I don't have prepared med medicines. What can I do in that situation? Water, of course, 
extracts of water-based constituents. And alcohol extracts the alcohol extractable things. It's one of the reasons I use 100 proof vodka because it's half water and half alcohol. One of the country tricks for getting alcohol soluble things out of plants is to soak the fresh plant overnight in wine. I love it. Okay, okay. And most of the time that will extract at least the lighter alkaloids. Okay, okay. The full Monty, of course, is to make a wine from the plant. Ooh, wow. Why haven't I thought of that? Okay, yeah. I kept asking myself why all the older European <laughs> herbals gave doses by the wine glass full. What? And the only answer I could come up with was they were drinking wine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have made um, wine from just about every edible, or shall I say non-poisonous flower. We've made red clover wine. We've made, of course, dandelion flower wine, notably, of course, elder flower wine, but we also made yarrow flower wine. Wow. Okay. And wild, uh, wild Queen Anne's lace flower wine and chicory flower wine. Wow. Okay. And the simplified recipe that I have in the green book for dandelion flower wine, you can substitute any flower. Awesome. Awesome. You can, of course, make wine from fruit as well. Hawthorne wine used to be a staple. Never know. Right? And elderberry wine, of course. And I suspected goji berry wine would be a lot of fun. With the goji berry, are, I think I've only got maybe the dried or dehydrated. Okay. I, what I would do if I wanted to make goji berry wine is I would look up a recipe for raisin wine. Okay, okay. Awesome. And just... Switch out the raisins, goji berries for the mm-hmm. raisins, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. <laughs> I got some fun projects coming up this summer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ferment. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Susan, and I'll keep listening, and I look forward to uh, your guest caller tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for your call. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. All right. And I'll remind everyone, if you have a question for Susan this evening or a suggestion for a question for Dr. Gladys McGarry later this evening, please press 1, and we'll see your hand go up in the queue. At this time, we have two callers that have pressed 1, and the next has dialed in from the 973 area code. From the 973, you are live with Susan. Hi, good evening, Sarah Ellen, and thank you, Susan, for your time. Hi. Uh, I just want to 
amplify the gratitude of the, all of the previous callers about all of the very important tools and resources. So I'm calling tonight just knowing I've taken a number of classes with you and you've really imprinted. I eat a quarter of yogurt, plain yogurt each week and every day weigh out um, dried nourishing herbal infusions and, and really have been very filled by the wise woman paradigm and tradition. So with that foundation, um, and I make a lot of tinctures, I, I'm calling because I'm having a physical challenge that I'm not yet able to remedy or remediate with the home remedies that I'm using, and I would love to hear your insight. Um, I, uh, many, many years ago, I started to have two fatty lipomas, if I'm saying that word, bilateral kind of um, uh, fatty pads on my calves. And I did some dry brushing and, you know, just kind of went on with my life. But in the last 10 years, um, that kind of cystic, almost kind of fatty cyst fluid has been going up around my knees and my thighs and really making pain in my knees. Um, and so I bought some from Rebecca's Etsy store. I bought some um, tallow with comfrey that I, I do with, um, you, know, you know, I do as just like gentle massage. I, um, I make my own uh, violet flower um, olive oil. So I have a lot of external remedies but it's getting worse and the pain is increasing because this kind of either lymphatic fluid or fatty pockets are definitely impacting and going around my knee joints. So just open to feedback of, of what else I might want to consider. Um, I have a lot in uh, my um, herbal first aid kit. So, and I grow a lot of, of um, plants from from the books and the classes I've taken with you. Just open to ideas. I'm not certain that the fatty tumors and the swelling in your knees are connected. Okay. Fatty tumors tend to be pretty stable. And they can grow, but they tend to grow very evenly and pretty slowly. It sounds like your knees are actually swollen or that or there might be fluid around your knees. Yes. So, and up into my thighs as well. Um, two summers so, ago I got uh, physical you, therapy for my knee. Are you saying that you think the fatty tumor might actually be blocking your circulation? I, I wouldn't be able to make that observation. I'm just noticing the fatty tumors would, on my calf. That would be the way, the only way I could think that it would be causing that. Other than that, I would look for what is blocking circulation to cause that kind of swelling. 
How, what kind of compression have you been using, and has that been effective? Because it's the, the swelling is actually over my knee joint and up into my, um, my thighs, the compression socks I did order were, didn't go high enough. Um, so I haven't been doing a lot of direct compression on my thighs because in some ways it is two different, both swollen, but definitely the, the, the kind of fatty pocket bilateral on my calf, but swelling on my knees and thighs. So separate but interrelated. Yes, that's what I think too, that, that it's an, that one isn't caused by the other, but that they can play off each other without a doubt. Yeah. And fatty tumors generally are left alone. Yes. I, I've had actually because they're benign, the bilateral fatty and tumors. And doctors are, don't want to cut them out because they say that they grow back all of the time. Yes. The ones on my calves I've had for more than 14 years. It's now the swelling um, above my knee and into my thighs. That's yes. newer, and that's been getting worse, not better, um, right. even with dry brushing. Um and again, just really some of the nice herbal infused oils or tallows. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is that generally if there's that kind of swelling, I would look to see where they're, what's causing that swelling. There's something that's supposed to be moving that isn't moving. What is it, lymph, blood, what's happening there that it isn't moving? Is, you know, is there a collapsed vein? Is there lack of muscle tone? Um, One of the first easy things to do is to find a way to get your feet up over your head. I've been doing legs up the wall. Yeah. All right. Does that help? Does that have any effect? I, it feels good emotionally to me, and it feels pretty good physically. Um, I also really like a flax pillow um, warmed up and put on my knees, you know, just oh, for yes. support Oh, yes. Oh, I like it, too. Oh, I like even just hearing about it. So lovely. So. I guess, you know, I'm not, I feel like it's, probably limp, um, but I haven't, the remedies I'm doing are helping my heart in terms of the, I feel like I am empowered to take care of myself with my relationship with plants and their kindredship to me, but I don't necessarily know if I'm getting to the root of um, changing anything or just to be in the place of doing just the self-care versus the, you know, Uh, anything else. Uh Uh-huh. So what makes you think it's lymph? Um, My father had very, very significant 
edema and swelling and lymphedema issues, if I'm saying that correctly. I, I'm not nervous. I'm sure yes, I'm pronouncing yes, it correctly. absolutely. Did he have lymphedema as a result of surgery, or did he just have it? Um, he did have DVT, so he had a vein procedure in um, his, one of his legs years ago, and then the uh, but then the other leg, um, he did not have that procedure, but had that same very excessive swelling, um, and it impacted his mobility and his ability to bear weight standing up. Unfortunately, lymphedema has a strong hereditary factor. As a matter of fact, that's about the only thing they can point to. How come this person gets lymphedema and that person doesn't? Genetics is all they can say is. If they can't pin it down to any lifestyle thing at all. So I hear you. You've seen how bad it can get. Yeah. And you've also seen that it got bad with a procedure and without a procedure. That's right. So that might influence your decision as whether or not to have any procedures. Things in down there that are suggested for hemorrhoids and varicose veins could probably help. Okay. Again, I have a strong sense that the more movement we can get below your knees, the better off your knees will be. And I'm walking right now. I always I always walk in the evening, and on Tuesdays I listen to your radio oh, show. Oh, you <laughs> to be a walking buddy. Thank you yeah. for taking me along. Yeah. <laughs> and I know there's another caller, but I just want to say thank you very quickly. Um, I was diagnosed with COVID-19 about five weeks ago, and I had so much remedies prepared. I had the elecampane root in honey. I had elderflower tincture. I had mullen infusion, and it was, I wouldn't wish to have it again, but I, I really had the remedies that I've been taught for nourishment, for rest and for recovery gently with the plants. Oh, we are so surrounded by green blessings. We are so gifted. What a beautiful life it is. And thank you for your free COVID-19 course on your, um, on your site, on one of your websites. And I believe that at last the long COVID course has been published at uh, wisewomanschool.com. Thank you. Read blessings. Thank you. Good night. Thank you for your time. Bye-bye. All right. I'll remind everyone listening, if you would like to speak live with Susan this evening, please press 1. That will allow us to see your hand go up in the queue and open your line when it is your turn. This time, there is one caller with their hand raised, and you've dialed in from the 215 area code. From the 215, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. I was curious if it's possible to treat small fiber neuropathy in the toes herbally. 
haven't had any direct experience with that, mm-hmm. either personally or with anybody that I know directly. But we certainly heard a lot at the Hypericum conference about the oil of Hypericum being used by multiple people to treat various kinds of neuropathy. Okay. So that's where I would send you is out looking at Hypericum. Okay. And some really nice Hypericum oil and seeing what that can do. Okay. Okay, I can give that a try. How long, like... The other the other thing that I think is absolutely counter to most of what you've been told, which is I think that in this kind of situation, it's important to get your bare feet on the earth. And I know that usually what you're told is never let your bare feet touch anything. Be sure you're always in shoes and socks. Okay. So even if it means that you go outside wearing your shoes and socks and then you sit down and take them off and sit there with them off with your feet on the bare earth, I think it's critically important to the healing process of the nerves in the feet to be in direct contact with the earth. And if that's something that's muscular, is comfrey, you know, using comfrey at all helpful, do you think, or no? I think comfrey could be a helper, always. Comfrey's just so thrilled always to be asked to help. And would this probably be over a long period of time and, like, applying it once a day or multiple times? You know, when I'm going to apply something, I usually tell myself that I should do it multiple times so that if I goof off and only do it once, at least I've done it once. Okay. And then if I actually do it a a couple of times rather than once, well, how much better for me and for the healing but at least I don't have to worry if, you know, some sometimes I'm slacking. Sounds great. Okay, thank you. Green blessings. Green blessings. Good night. All right. And I will remind everyone that if you have a question for Susan this evening or have a suggestion for a question that Susan could ask our guest, Dr. Gladys McGarry, uh, coming up in just a little bit here, uh, press one so that we can see your hands go up in the queue. At this time, I'm not seeing any hands. Um, I think there was an email question that we didn't get to last week. I just need to, let's see here. I know we asked one. Let me see. Sometimes I don't keep my notes well. Okay, here we go. Yes, we have one email question um, if you would like to go there. Absolutely. All right. Hi, Susan. I have been a vegan for 27 years. I'm now 64 years old and realizing I need more for my diet than what I have been allowing myself. I know meat uh, is what I need and what my body wants to be healthy, but my mind and my mouth are not on board. How can I get over my texture and feel issues? 
I've tried bone broth and soup, but I don't know. But I don't know if I can taste the animal ingredients present or if it's just my mind's strong story of yuck and growth that takes over. Um, but is there anything that I could use to help get over my issues and start eating the food I know I need to eat for my health? Thank you so much. Green blessings. Oh, it's difficult to answer without actually having the person to talk to. This, because this is something that isn't um, obvious. It's something that's going on with her. She says her texture issues. So does this mean that she doesn't eat any vegetables that have texture? That she does it bite into, say, for instance, a raw cherry? So what is the story that she's telling herself? It's not very clear, needless to say, from what she has shared with us. I usually ask vegans why it is that they hate animals. And they usually look at me like I have lost my mind and say, oh, no, 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 I love animals. And then I say, okay, I love you so much, backing away from them, that I don't want to have anything to do with you and you can't come to my house and I don't even want to see you. And they kind of laugh, and I say, are you feeling loved? And they go, no. And I say, well, that's what you're saying to animals. When we love something, we want to eat it up. When we love something, we want to become one with us in the most direct possible way, which is by ingesting it. When we really love something, we have a strong desire to merge with it. We don't reject it. Rejecting isn't love. Saying that rejecting animals is love is very confusing. And she's been living this confusion for a long time now. So how does she become unconfused about what it is to love and what it is to eat what you love? Someone once said to me, how can you possibly eat an animal you raised? And I said, how can you possibly eat food you haven't raised? It's become the norm now that we eat faceless food, shall we call it. And unfortunately, it often is soulless food. So perhaps what our writer needs is to put a face to her food. Maybe she personally needs to give death to the animal whose flesh she's going to eat so that she has a direct experience of that. I don't really know, because I can't talk to her. It may be that 
because of her sensitivities or whatever she has developed over her long life, what would work better for her is to meditate on the aliveness and the consciousness of plants and to bring to the giving of death to a plant the same supposed empathy and compassion that she feels for the animal. I eat you, and you eat me. Whether it is bacteria that are eating, or whether I am eating a plant-based diet by eating an animal that ate plants, it's one big harvest festival of nourishing each other. Around and around the spiral we go. So that's the best I can do without actually talking to her. All right. Well, uh, let's see. I am not seeing another hand in the queue at this time. I will remind everyone. Oh, there we go. I don't need to remind everyone that someone has already pressed one. We have another caller that has dialed in from the 603 area code. From the 603, you are live with Susan. Was that something I want to pass by you? And I already... I'm sending it to come to the stairs. I will go upstairs and read what I wrote. I want to see if if it's, if it, if you think it's okay. Marianne sent a picture of the three. Hi, yes, you. Are you talking to us? Little Hi, talk to us. It's really a cute We can go upstairs. Oh. <laughs> All right. I don't think uh, – I think that was Rose, but I don't think Rose has um, realized that her line is open. Her hand is raised. So, Rose, if you are hearing us, I'm going to reopen your line from the 603 so that you can speak live with because Susan. Because you have all hers available <laughs> to share. I would love to have shared the – All right. Well, I'll remind everyone that if you have a question for Susan this evening, um, you can raise your hand by pressing one. Uh, at this time, we do have one caller with her hand raised. Um, and from the 603, if um, I'll try you one more time to see if you are ready to uh, tune in. And so because I'm signing your name, I want to make sure you think it's All okay. Right. I pay attention to her phone. So... All right. What do you think? Do you want to go? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so I'm looking for a hand in the queue. If anyone has a question, uh, please press 1, and we will see your hand go up in the queue. We do not have another email question at this time. So I maybe it's time for... Well, I got a wonderful letter, and I'm going to paraphrase it rather than to go and get it, And from a correspondence course student. And she said that she has had multiple health problems, 
and she's been diagnosed with a whole alphabet soup of things from obsessive compulsive disorder to irritable bowel syndrome to it goes on and on and on and she said of course she like took drugs to help her deal with these problems and then she had to take other drugs to deal with the side effects of the drugs she was taking and she was just basically feeling not good and somehow she got turned on to nourishing herbal infusions and nourishing herbal infusions worked their magic and made her unhappy taking all those drugs and as she started to stop taking drugs, she found that she could hear her body and that her body was really, really unhappy with her. That her body had been best to tell her what she needed, but that she kept trying to fix it instead of listening. that she was able to ally with some plants around her and to have them be the gatekeepers into her experience of plants. And because, Mm. because of this, she then decided that she wanted to be an herbalist. And she lives in Australia, so she decided to become an herbalist, which apparently means a lot of schooling and a lot of money and a lot of studying. And she realized she couldn't do it because she was a mother and she had to have time with her children. Mm. And she said it was a real blessing that she had to withdraw from the school because, interestingly enough, although she had heard about the infusions, they didn't come in with anything about the wise woman tradition. It was just like the infusions were this separate thing. And then she found the wise woman tradition, she said, and it, it, that it suddenly she found a tradition in which she didn't need a license and she could be a mother. Wow. How beautiful. So wonderfully moving to know, you know, that life will always give us that chance that it will say, hey, have you thought about this? Maybe it could be like this. Wow, I love the way she was really able to just tune in and listen, deep listening, even through the supposed adversity or what wasn't going right in the original story. My, how the story was allowed to turn and she was just present with what was going on. So beautiful. Right? Yeah. Stunning. Yeah. Stunningly yeah. beautiful. Uh-oh. Wow. Well, I think that story has inspired a question. Um, I see a new hand that has come in um, from the 662 area code. Are you ready for another question? Yes. All right. Here we go. From the 
two. Your line is open and you are live with Susan. Good evening, Sarah Ellen, and hello, Susan. Hi, hi. I'm calling to talk about Hypericum. There's um, there's a species that grows here in the woods called St. Andrew's Cross, and I'm wondering if it would be worth tincturing. Many people say that you can tell by the presence of the red, which indicates the hypericin. Okay, I I have noticed that the branches are red in color. Oh, that doesn't mean that they'll be red in the tincture. It's the tincture that has to be red. Oh, I understand. I see. Okay. And it's not the part that turns red isn't red. It's the yellow flower that turns red. Okay. It's the yellow flower that makes a red oil and a red tincture. It's like herbal magic. How neat. Okay, I guess I'd just give it a try. That's what I would do. I would just give it a try. And if it works, hurrah. And if it doesn't, okay. Um, I'm trying to remember from the Hypericum conference. I think there's, I don't know, uh, don't quote me on it, maybe like 70 or 80 species of Hypericum. And at least a dozen worldwide that have been used medicinally. Okay, this one is blooming, happens to be blooming right now. So so harvest ye the flowers. If they're going to turn red, they will turn red within an hour in the alcohol. Oh, okay. I'll just do one sample in something clear so I can see. Absolutely. Like a tiny little jar, you know, with how big are the flowers? They're relatively small, maybe the size of your pinky, maybe Uh a little bit bigger. Yeah, Yeah, so maybe like 20 or 30 flowers and some alcohol, some vodka. Okay, I'll report back. Good. Be interested to know. I thank you so much for your show. You are welcome. Thanks for calling. Goodbye. Good night. All right. And um, I'll remind everyone listening, if you've got a question for Susan, you can press 1 and we'll see your hand go up in the queue. You know to open your line. We do still have a hand open from the 603 area code. We'll try you again in the 603. You are live with Susan. All right. In the 603? Well, all is quiet, but no voices. No. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they were looking for has been found or not, and all is quiet on the 603 front. Oh, um, uh, well, I am seeing a hand back from the 215. So I think you are raising your hand from the 215. You were an earlier caller, and now you are live with Susan. Did you have another question? Yes, I did have another question. I was just thinking um, to ask Susan to explain. 
expand on one of the comments that she made um, when she talked about, um, you know, counter to what they would say, you know, to put your feet on the earth. And I would just ask, um, why is it that you're recommending that? Well, first off, because I am a very big believer in the healing power of the upwelling energy from the earth. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just speaking metaphysically. Mm-hmm. We know that the earth generates a very powerful electromagnetic field. It generates an electromagnetic field so powerful that it keeps the solar energy from frying us to death. Mm-hmm. So there's this constant upwelling of this energy from deep in the core of the earth. And it's not just your feet, but your entire body on or very near to the earth experiences this upwelling of energy, of veriditas, of prana, of chi. And it is what we are seeking in healing. We are seeking a restoration to that energy. So it's the like the easiest path for our bodies to take because it's the path of resonance. We don't have to imagine or create some state that we want, which is health. We take the part of us that isn't the way we want it to be and we put it on the earth which is always in abundant health always in perfect health okay cool thank you I'm glad I called back in yeah I would further say that it's pretty likely that if you put your feet on the earth that there will be soil bacteria there And soil bacteria are the big thing that's missing from the Western gut. Westernized, Mm -hmm. civilized people no longer prepare their food on the ground. And so we are missing, all of the surveys that have been done see that we are missing soil bacteria. And you don't have to lick your feet to get those soil bacteria. Just put your feet on the soil. Those soil bacteria will find their way into your gut. Hmm. And they'll make you healthier and happier. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Good blessings. Good night. Good night. That was fun. I'm so glad she called back in, too. That was I love to hear about the soil bacteria going into the bare feet. I I did I truly did not know that. I knew I was getting it on my feet, but that's really cool. Yeah. Dermal wow. ab- dermal absorption is real. The skin wow. is a permeable barrier. Right. Of course. I just I never thought about the soil bacteria having entry to my gut through my bare feet. That's just so awesome. I mean, oh. people pay lots and lots of money to buy things to put on their skin. So obviously, mm-hmm. 
think that the skin is permeable and that those things are going in and doing something. So bacteria, of course, are um, intensely clever at finding ways in. Sure. How amazing. That's so beautiful. Wow. Hooray for Glita. (laughs) Is Dr. Gladys McGarry with us yet? I am looking for her phone number. I do not see her here with us yet. Dr. McGarry, McGarry, if you are here, then uh, please press 1. We'll see your hand go up in the queue. But I have two numbers for her, Um, one that she will be calling in from tonight, but I don't see her here just yet. Well, she has some very interesting questions that she has given me to ask her. How has the change in medicine over the last 60 years affected you? What a great question. What's wrong with the old adage about conserving your energy as you get older? Mm. What is the juice in life? And why do we need it? How did an elephant help you find your juice? And what's the most important thing about that story for you? How do we mobilize when we are feeling impossibly stuck? What a good question. How does contributing to a community contribute to your well-being? In your 90s, you decided to take on a new ambition and become a writer. What led you to this? Will you unpack the foundational five L's for us? What did Gandhi teach you about love? when you met him in your childhood. What is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self? What is something that anyone can start doing tomorrow to live life to the fullest? People are amazed that someone who's over 100 years old has a 10-year plan. Tell me about it. Oh, Dr. McGarry is here, so she will be able to do that. Dr. Gladys McGarry began her medical practice at a time when she couldn't even open her own bank account. No woman could. Over the past 60 years, she has pioneered a new way of thinking about disease and health that has transformed the way we imagine health care and self-care around the world. The co-founder of the American Holistic Medical Association, Dr. McGrary, has mentored everyone from Dr. Mark Hyman to Dr. Edith Eager and has helped hundreds of patients live longer and healthier lives. In a voice that is both practical and inspiring, Dr. McGarry shares her own extraordinary stories and eternal wisdom from her early childhood in India and chance encounter with Mahatma Gandhi to her life as a physician and a mother of six children to her survival of both heartbreak and illness. 
And she doesn't just look backward. She looks forward. At 110, Dr. McGrary has a 10-year plan and an eye on a healthier and more joyful future for all. Welcome to the show, Dr. McGrary. We're thrilled to have your presence here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I totally agree with you about the juice. Tell us more about the juice and why we need it. Well, you know, it's very easy to get stuck and uh, hard to get unstuck. But the reality is that if we just work towards it and look towards the the light and, and having the understanding about what our bodies and minds and spirits are saying, we can find amazing juice within ourselves. And and as we find it within ourselves and use it, it grows because that's life. And life has to move. Did an elephant help you understand this? Do what? Did an elephant help you understand this? Yes, yes, absolutely. When I was, I guess I was eight or nine, something like that, and we were in the jungles of North India, my father and my brothers, my older brothers, had gone on a hunt because there was a tiger that was attacking a village, and the village people had no defenses against it and it, it had become a man-eating tiger so my they were on this hunt and and so our camp which was out right there in the jungle in tents was left with my mother who was a physician she was an osteopathic physician and we three younger children my my sister, myself, and my younger brother. And lo and behold, one morning when, when mom was working at the tent and had a whole group of people, who village people who came as patients, here came an elephant walking into the camp. Elephant boy, the Mahout, walked over to my brother, the elephant walking right behind him. And said to my mother, this elephant was the, is the Maharaja's favorite elephant. And we were on a hunt a couple of weeks ago, and the elephant stumped on a, an, a bamboo stump and got something or injured his foot, and it, it, it's not healing. And so the, the Maharaja wants you to do something about it, if you would. And my mother says, oh, well, uh, I, don't, I, I don't treat elephants. And the, the Mahat said to her, you're a doctor. She says, oh, yes, okay. <laughs> I guess I treat elephants. So the, the elephant stood there. And you have to understand that my mother was five foot one. The elephant's leg was about the size it was bigger than she was. So standing there beside this 
elephant, and we three younger kids are around, but she patted the elephant's leg and started talking to it like she would to any patient and said, now, you know, it, it, I'm going to try to, and it might hurt and so on. So she is carrying on a conversation with the elephant and it's standing perfectly still. And so she instructed me to get some, um, get a syringe that I knew what she was talking about and forceps and a pan of potassium permanganate, which I was able to fix for her and bring it over to her. So she she's talking to the elephant and moving around its leg and, and patting it and, and, you know, working with it. And when I brought the uh, forceps, she, well, worked around inside the the where the where the wound was and she found a six inch uh splinter of bamboo that had been stuck there and so she worked with it and all the time telling the elephant that she probably this probably is hurting and I'm sorry about that but you know we've got to get this out and she tells the elephant all that she's doing and um, actually is able to remove the splinter and um, then she uh, syringes it with potassium permanganate and does it that kind of treatment and then she uh, applies some ointment on it and this whole time that elephant didn't move and I was watching it I, I didn't think it even batted its eyes. It was listening to what my mother was saying. And um, when she was finished, she patted his leg and said he could go on. Well, he, um, the Mahound worked with him, and he, he picked the, the three of us kids up and put us on his back. And we were pegged, were camped just on the uh, uh bank of the Ganges. So we went down to the to the Ganges and he got water in his snout and sp- sprayed us with it. And we had a great time. And then the next day he comes back, the mount comes back into our camp and the elephant doesn't for anything. It walks straight over to where my mother was working with patients, put its snout around my mother's waist and lifted her up in the air. And she's laughing and patting him and saying, now, now, be a good boy. Put me down. I need to work. And the elephant does, and then she treats him again. So it was a, a an, an experience for me as a child to see how the actual love of, of any living thing, any, whether it's a plant or anything else, how important the love of a human could be for that that being. And for her, it was this elephant. It was a uh, lesson in what goes on among we living creatures on this earth. For me, it was a very profound lesson. 
It is for all of us now, too. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Now, just a very slight change of subject. Could you tell us about what Gandhi taught you? Well, uh, well, now this at this point, I was ten. I know I was ten because we were just leaving India to come to the states. For my parents had every seven and a half years, they had a year and a half come to the states to be with their families and so on. So we were leaving India, and I was very sad. I didn't want to leave India. I wanted. I, you know, I didn't remember being in the United States. I, so anyway, we were on the train, and the train slowed down as it came into this one station because there were huge crowds. Now, in India, there are huge crowds a lot of the time, but this crowd was following a man who was dressed in a in a dhoti, which is the loincloth, and carrying a staff and walking in front of the whole group. And I came right as a st- as the train sl- uh, slowed down and stopped. He- it stopped right where Gandhi, this man, was standing there and had stopped to reach down to a little girl who was handing him a flower and he, he was taking that flower, and as he lifted his head up, he was in line of fine vision. And I looked into his eyes, and he looked into mine, and nobody can tell me, or I can tell anybody else, what it was that passed between us. But there was a recognition, and I knew it, and I felt that he do it. I felt a connection with him at that point. And 30 years later, this connection worked out in the way that um, the partition was happening in India, and Gandhi was uh, leading, talking to the people and trying to get some, some sort of understanding between the Hindus and Mohammedans, some kind of peace work. And my parents had their own little um, medical units that they were taking around into the camps where people were suffering and so on. So they shared the lecture platforms with each other, Gandhi and my mother. Not my mother, of course, she was a woman, but my dad. And... um, and because they were friends, my uh, Gandhi gave my mother a cashmere shawl and my dad a pani blanket. So it was that kind of a of a connection that lasted through the years and and held meaning to, for all of us. And those are golden relationships. It's not how often necessarily you see someone, but treasuring each other. Right. 
and the depth at which it, it touches. There are times in your life when you know it's a transformative experience. It touches you so deeply, you you never forget the, the experience and you have difficulty explaining it to anybody because, you know, you have to kind of feel it in order to understand it. We were really taken by um, your question about how do we mobilize when we're feeling impossibly stuck. Well, you you have, if you feel impossibly stuck, start moving because life needs to move. <clears throat> if you have a a ro- trellis rose or any kind of a plant that's growing and you cut it someplace along the line and stop its growth, the whole plant won't do well. It's it, we we need to Life needs to move. We have to, you know, we have to breathe in and out. If we stop breathing in and out, we die. We have to, but that's not just the only part of us that has to move. (laughs) Need to be moved. And as we move our bodies, our minds and our spirits move and connect. So one thing that is really important for people who are feeling stuck no matter what the reason is if you feel stuck if i feel stuck someplace i better start moving because uh, it, it, uh, it's just essential for movement and our body becomes one of the great teachers in our lives so as we move our whether it's wiggling our ears or you know, getting up and walking or taking a, a going out into the woods and smelling the you know, get yourself going. If you if you don't so what, you know, you're going to be stuck. And it's it's and and you're the only one that can do this. That's the thing, you know. People can suggest things and you know if I suggest to a patient for whatever reason that they need to go home and rest, that's doing something. That's not saying you go home and you stop living because sometimes a person takes that kind of advice as telling them they're done and they just need to go and lie down and not do anything. Uh Uh-uh. If you're taking a rest, that's doing something if you can acknowledge it as that. But you have to understand that you're doing something. And certainly if you take a rest, you're going to be breathing. So you're going to be <laughs> doing something. You know, I say that there are seven medicines. And the first medicine is serenity medicine in which yes. we do nothing. So I completely agree with you that it, the the activity of serenity is an important first step for healing, and sometimes it's the only step we need to take. I'm very curious as to what the five L's are. All right. 
we start out with the understanding that love itself is the great healer. The Bible starts out with God is love. Okay, that's kind of important. But love is, once we understand that love is the healing aspect of all healing, then we've got something that gets us going. Love and life need to move together. The first two L's are love and life. Life by itself can't do anything. You have a seed in the in the pyramid for 5,000 years, and it's just sitting there inside of its shell with all the energy of the universe there, but it can't, can't move until love activates that seed with light and water and, and movement and breaks the shell and life can start, start to move. So the two of them are like the sperm and the ovum. They're like the day and night. They, they life and light have you know, life and and uh, love have to be become one. There, in fact, a pregnancy exactly that. The mother and the baby are one unit throughout the whole pregnancy, but when the when the baby is born, when it takes its first breath, it becomes its own unit. Until then, the life and love combination is one unit. But the third uh, L is laughter. Laughter without love is mean, it's cruel. Families fall apart because of the how cruel life, you know, love, uh, laughter can be. But laughter with love is joy and happiness. And the fourth one is labor. Labor without love is drudgery. Oh, man, i got to go to work. i got to do the dishes. got to do the diet. You know, it's all the things that become heavy and hard. But but, um, with uh, with love, it changes from drudgery into bliss. We move from that dragging ourselves along into, I'm good, this is what I'm going to do. I'm a painter. I'm a doctor. This is my, my bliss. And we work harder at that that we would at the thing that that it was drudgery. So labor with love becomes bliss. The the fifth one is listening. Listening without love is empty sound. It's the clanging gong. It just doesn't mean anything. But listening with love is understanding. And then, you know, if, it's like if I work with a, a patient and, and am not connecting with that patient with love, they, I may tell them something that would be very helpful for them to do for their health or something, 
they're not going to listen. They, you know, they may not even hear it. And so listening with love is is true understanding. So those are the five L's that are kind of a foundation to stand on and understand the energy, the juice that we work with, which is all connected with love. That is really remarkable. I talk about the wise woman tradition which heals by nourishing and that nourishing is a three-legged stool and that Uh it has to do both with being heard and hearing others, listening, and listening with love. Yeah. Medicine has changed a lot during your lifetime. Yes. I remember being with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and she talked about how her medical training was with a doctor, and they would go from farm to farm. They would have a meal with the family and talk to them about their health and the health of their land and the animals. And what a shock it was to her to come to America and to be put into a room with a naked patient. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it is she had no way to, to know what was wrong with them or how to correct it because she couldn't see any of the signs and signals that she had come to recognize from being enmeshed into people's lives. I'm sure yeah. you've seen even greater changes. What has most impressed you, both favorably and unfavorably? Well, you know, Elizabeth and I were good friends. We shared their uh, lecture platform sometimes she she we she talked about transition into the next dimension and I talked about birthing into this dimension so it was a great connection but we you know um it's what was your question <laughs> over the course of all of this time medicine has changed a lot what changes are you thrilled with and what changes do you wish would change back? Well, you know, when I was when I started medical school, World War Two had just started. It started I started in September and the war started in December. So my whole training in medicine was with the war. And after the war was over the war has still continued. We're st- medicine is still focusing on getting rid of diseases, killing diseases, and, and, and getting rid of pain. And we, the reason we started the American Holistic Medical Association is that there are a group of us who knew that there was more to it than that because that deals with the body and the mind but where is the spirit where is the juice where is the energy that that keeps us alive and so we started the American Holistic Medical Association took us two years to figure out how to spell it because the word holistic that we were looking for was the the health, healing, and holy, 
we were going, we needed that H, that holy aspect that we were bringing into the field of medicine, as as was the great that love and holy or the whole aspect of our being was what made well it was was healing and um my eldest son is a retired orthopedic surgeon but when he had finished his training he came through phoenix he was on his way down to del rio texas to start his practice and he said to me mom you know i'm i'm really scared i'm going to go out into the world i'm going to have people's lives in my hands I don't think I can handle that. And I said to him, oh, Carl, if you think you're the one that does the healing, you have a right to be scared. But if you can understand that it's your job to do orthopedic surgery as you have learned it, because, boy, if if I've got something that's broken, I would love to have an orthopedic surgeon who knows what he's doing work of putting it back together again. Those are things that are essential. However, after you've done your work, or even as you're doing your work, you connect with the physician within that patient, which is the real healer. All of us have within us that energy. We're the only ones that can heal ourselves. And so if if we listen to what a physician is saying and un, and get enough connection between ourselves, the, the physician on the outside and the physician within us, that's when our healing happens. And it, it's, 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 it's a wonderful colleague process that I've treasured all the way through because I watched my parents do that. My mother made friends with the elephant, you know. It's that ability to see within living things the love and life that connects us. And that is what actually does the healing. And now in, in medicine, the... Conventional medicine still does not quite get that, but we keep working with it. Um, I'm now calling. More, more and more medical professionals are getting that, having just come fairly recently from a big bout with modern medicine. Um, I wound up in surgery for 17 hours to uh, resect my two different cancers. Um, I can't tell you that they are definitely getting it, that love has to do with it. And, of course, I chose May 2020, the perfect COVID time, to do all of this. And the love was shining through everywhere, more and more. I could talk to you for a long, long time, but... This is a show that is going to shut down around our ears in a few seconds. And so I want to thank you 
from my heart, from my soul, with all of the green blessings that I carry with me for the work that you are doing and continuing to do. Gang, we didn't get to hear her 10-year plans. You're going to have to look up Dr. McGreary and find out about that 10-year plan. You know, I think that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And so I want to thank you for the beautiful, thick, strong, and long threads you have added to this weaving. Sarah Ellen, thank you for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Dr. McGreary, it is a great honor to have had this opportunity to learn from your wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for taking it and using it.